Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Uh, today we are talking a lot of Q&A, but specifically we're in the first part of the session at least, we're going to talk about when should you be renovating a property. If you've got a property out there and you know it can uh, handle some improvements, but whether we think it's worth it, do we put some more money into it now or do we go and buy another property? So we'll flash that out. And uh, also the whole I'm renting and as uh, uh, an amount that I'm paying should I go and get my own mortgage now instead because of interest rate rises where we're, we're seeing a lot of um, the cost of living going up and uh, associated uh, questions around that. So plenty to get into. Emily, let's uh, rip in. Let's do it. So John, the Facebook group always delivers the goods when it comes to questions and FYI, if you're not in the My Millennial Money Facebook page, you definitely should be. Anything you put in there and that you put a hashtag property, that's basically how John and I search for content when we're looking for Q&A. So if you want to be uh, heard, put it in the group with the hashtag property and we'll get to it. Now, the first one that we're going to touch on today is one that comes from Cassandra Harris. Shout out to Cassandra. Cassandra has asked, how do you know when is the right time to renovate an investment property? For context, my property has had no issues being rented. I've had no complaints from tenants, but I feel like it could do with a little bit of TLC. How do you work out if the return will be worth it for extra rent and also added value, especially when it's interstate and you can only go off photos? She would love our input um, or you know some context from a value or property manager. So, we are neither of those, but we will do our best. <laughs> we will do our best. And uh, Cassandra is a, a very loyal client of mine. Would you have it? Oh, there you go. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, good question, Cassandra. Look, first thing that springs to mind for me is if tenant's happy and there's no maintenance issues, we can let it roll. We can let it do its thing and, and we get our weekly rent in. But it's not as black and white as that. And I think we've got a, there's a few factors that we need to consider. One is what would we be doing with that cash otherwise? So if we wanted to, say, put 20000 into a renovation, which would be a small renovation these days, um, would we be going and buying another property with that or forming part of the deposit for that? Would we be going investing it elsewhere? Would we Have we got our emergency funds in place? Um, so what would we do with it otherwise? Would we sit it in an offset account against our mortgage, um, et cetera, et cetera? The second thing we need to understand is, well, uh, if we put that 20K in, are we getting a reasonable return on that? 
i.e. is the rent going to be increased and by how much and and maybe talking to the property manager about what that 20k might do in terms of rent amount and secondly the value of the property will that be increased because you've spent some more money on the property which may mean we can get that 20k out sooner uh, in, in equity to go and buy another property. So they'd be the high level things that I'd be uh, thinking about. What about you? Yeah, just as you were chatting through that, I was just thinking a lot of people spend money when they go to sell, you know, they get the property ready for sale. And my instant thought was, well, what could you do that you probably would do when you go to sell anyway, but you could benefit from now. So you're not sort of hit with a lump sum of you know, painting, carpet, maybe updating the hot water system if it doesn't work, those little things. Even I always find adding reverse cycle air conditioners add value um, quite easily and they're not super costly to do. So you're right, it's that sort of balancing act between, well, could the cash be used somewhere else right now if the tenant's really got no problem? But in my mind, it's almost trying to do little baby steps of the projects that I would do when I go to sell anyway. So I'm not hit with a lump sum in one go because it all goes towards the um, the maintenance of the property at some point. And I don't know if there's any difference in deductions when it comes to the money that you've spent in updating the property. Maybe we need to reference an accountant if there's any implications of the timing of when you do the work. But as I understand it, it all kind of goes towards the maintenance and the, the cost the yeah, the, generally in the year that you've done the works, but uh, very much so. If you're replacing something because it's exhausted and, and no longer working, then generally you can claim that yes. uh, without being a qualified accountant there, of course. But um, uh, if you're improving something or extending something or, or creating something that wasn't there to begin with, then generally speaking, um, and check with your accountant, but that would be added to the cost base when you sell the property. So yeah, that that's one implication, isn't it? Maybe chat to your accountant about what you plan to do and what you might be able to uh, claim that year and, and not. But it's actually a good point I've never really thought of is, is gradually improving it to the point um, where you don't get whacked right at the end when you sell it. But because traditionally as, as an investor, I've always just basically uh, applied band-aids until it comes time to sell it. If the tenant needs something or um, fixing or improving, then I'll go and do that. But unless and, and the, there's an issue, I'll probably just let it go and put the excess cash into something else. Um, so we've got that diversification. I'm not looking at putting all of my funds into to one property. So yeah, it's an interesting debate. And I think it's what makes you comfortable um, to do if you feel as though you want to make it a better home for your tenant, then absolutely knock yourself out. It might also be a timing piece. Now, I accidentally found myself in this situation when I had a terrible tenant that, that trashed the place, like it was a horror story and it was one of, you know, the less than 2%, I'm sure. But I found myself finding a silver lining that I had to repaint, re-carpet and re-landscape the property. And uh, to give you a bit of a ballpark, it's probably about 18 grand worth of work collectively to get this all sorted, plus the skip bin hire and all the rest of it. But I got the property revalued and it was an 85K difference in the valuation in in four weeks from when I got it valued wow. before and after the work. So you may actually find some 
items are worthwhile if you do think it's going to raise the equity along with the general growth of the market to then springboard into another purchase as opposed to just the cash sitting there. Now, that's not always going to be the case that you see this drastic upside in a short period of time, but it could be a possibility for some people um, if they do do some cosmetic updates that probably enhance the property. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I suppose in summary for Cass is... um Talk to your accountant, talk to your property manager to see what rents might be uh, improved as a result um, and, and talk to your real estate agent maybe about, yeah, what, what would we expect that to be um, going forward? But um, yeah, well, one thing I did think of as you were saying that, um, Emily, is the whole when are we selling yes. versus if I improve it now... And, and don't want to play devil's advocate here, but if I improve it now but I intend to hold it for another 10 years, for example, is all of those improvements going to be ruined by a tenant that may not look after it as well as I do? Mm. So we've got to factor that part of it in as well. Um, so we, we know that it might not always be a smooth process with tenants. We hope that it is, but yeah, I, I'd um, take that into account as well, Cass. Totally agree. Now, just before we jump into the next one, I think it's timely uh, to mention, if for some people, this would be new information for other long-term listeners. This is information they're well and truly across, but John and I both work as buyers, agents or buyers advocates in our respective cities and across certain areas. But John is very investment focused. So it's funny because we both get calls from listeners and I love chatting to listeners of the show. I just, it's so good when someone books in Discovery Call. It's super exciting. They're like, oh, you sound the same as you do on the podcast, which is good (laughs) feedback. Um, But a lot of people book in with me for a call for an investment property and I don't buy investment properties, but John does. So if you've been thinking about having someone on your side for investment purposes, don't call me. I mean, I'm happy to chat, but probably I'll just tell you to call John. Um, But John is the person when it comes to investments and I think you know you do buy a couple of owner ox here and there don't you occasionally yeah occasionally yeah. it's it, if it fits the bill but yeah. it's maybe because your call's free and mine's not Emily. true so, true <laughs> but the benefit of your call is so much greater than mine a it's way longer in duration but b you know what you're on about when it comes to numbers and investments and areas whereas I'm more about let me find an off-market property and take the emotion out of it which is a different value proposition yeah. I guess so yeah I would definitely call John if you're thinking of investment, just to clarify. But I will also happily talk to you if you're a listener of the show, um, if if you've got something you want to talk about. (laughs) Or if you're just bored and want to chat to someone. You want to dial up my hotline? Sure. No worries. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Okie dokie. So moving on to the next one. Now, I don't know the person's name. It's just as a group a member post. Um, The group member has asked, how do you decide how much to spend on your first home, especially given the rising interest rates, expensive housing markets and soon to be rent increases, which this was posted early July and we've now definitely experiencing rent increases. Uh, For context, our rent is currently $6.50 a week, which is 30% of our take-home pay. We can't afford to buy what we currently rent. And so we are looking at downgrading our location and size of house in order to buy something such that the mortgage plus body corporate insurance rates and water rates come in at the same weekly repayment. So that's interesting. Um, So they're trying to keep at that 30%, which is usually the rough guide of where you would be for rent or mortgage repayments. They've got a decent deposit around 20% of what they are looking to buy. And speaking with a broker, 
Um, so they definitely have options, but they're just worried about the risk of overextending themselves. And I think, you know what, this is such a real case scenario. That's a very typical rent in, say, in a Melbourne, in a Sydney, maybe even for a large property in Brisbane. And that is that debate of, well, how do I substitute, you know, especially if you're, if you're renting and you don't have an investment and you're trying to get yourself on the property ladder. What are your thoughts around that scenario, John? I think that's a very um, typical one that you'd probably come across in a lot of clarity calls, right? Yeah, absolutely it is. And and again, in my clarity call, I, I often direct them to our website, um, solveairwealth.com.au. I've got a mortgage repayments calculator in there amongst some other free resources there. But when, when you look at, I'll talk about the 30% in a minute, mm. but when you look at what that equates to from a, an interest or a loan repayment point of view for a start, um, it's about $590,000 of loan at 4% principal and interest. It equates to six fifty a week, right? Yeah. So that's the apples for apples comparison. I'll borrow five ninety at 4%. Um, that's costing me six fifty a week. Okay. So that is a starting point. Now, if we factor in things like rates, insurance, um, et cetera, that um, the person's spoken about, let's say that's about five grand for the year, $100 a week. That brings your loan amount back to 490 or give or take. Okay. It brings um, to be able to make sure that we're, we're factoring those costs. So you're like for like again. So the, the thing that I would not challenge on, but just say that 30% is a guide. Right now, you could say, well, if I bump that up to thirty-five percent or forty, and and pull back in other areas of my life, is that going to be the lifestyle I desire? Is is are we going to put more emphasis on our owner rock home to to live in, uh, knowing that it's going to be higher than the recommended thirty? Because it is only recommended um, just to basically secure the the asset that I want, which might be a, a better asset to buy than if I just uh, stuck to the 30% rule, right? So maybe um, maybe do some numbers on that and see where that sits. But generally speaking, that's, that, that's the apples for apples comparison. And I think a lot of people want that inside of comparison, don't they? Sometimes when you don't have a reference point, particularly the unknown of owning a property, if you're coming from renting, there's all these accommodations that you need to think about um, in in your buffers, but also in your repayments and the costs, even if you're buying into apartments, body corporates, all that sort of stuff. Um, but a lot of people sort of think the general thumb, well, I'm paying X amount in rent. What does that look like in a mortgage? You just need to consider all aspects of what owning a home entails, not just the mortgage repayments. Yeah, totally. And and do I want to buy my own home? Am I happy renting where I am, uh, regardless of the cost? It's a lifestyle thing. Do I can I rent for six fifty somewhere that that I enjoy for the next ten years and go and rent vest right and and buy investments, or do I want to uh, have the security of the roof over my head that I actually own and then uh, crunch down on that mortgage? So a few factors in there, but really good question because the whole yeah, as you mentioned at the start, the rent story is is a a bit of a scary one. For some people, they in the space of twelve months they can see their six fifty a week going up to seven fifty. Mm. Um, so, yeah, whilst your interest rates can do the same, you do have a bit more certainty around that. You may be able to fix some of it, etc. Indeed, I think it's a forever evolving conversation of comfort level as well. I know even personally, like I have been adamant, I'm like rent vester for life. But even recently, I'm like, oh, should I buy my own home? 
could I buy my own yeah. home? And it's just depending on your lifestyle. So don't be yeah. afraid if, you know, your conversations change over time. That's what they're supposed to do as things change. So too do your circumstances and set up. So just know your, knowing your options is probably the key thing in all of this. Yep, be liquid. Yes. Now, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to dig back into the Facebook group and find some more property-related questions that we will answer for you. So, we'll be right back in just a moment. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click Get Help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click Get Help. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. So we're back. Uh, Michael Smart has a question and I must apologize to Michael because he was at the podcast on Monday night, the live one, and I told him I would answer that question live and I didn't get around to it. So massive apologies, but we're going to answer it now as a priority. So he says, hi guys, bit of background information. My partner and I renovated our current house we live in and then borrowed of the equity to purchase land and build a house. At the moment, we are comfortable in our current house, which is an established area close to shops, schools, public transport. This house would rent for roughly 500 per week with a mortgage repayments of about 430 per week. So it's cash flow positive-ish. The house we are building is more of a long-term forever, bigger family home for us, which is in a newly developed area that is not close to shops, schools and public transport yet. It would rent for roughly 580 with the mortgage repayment of roughly 500 per week. So my question is, is it worth renting out the new house for a few years to claim on the depreciation of the house build or are we better off renting out our current house? What is your thoughts on this or is there a better strategy altogether? Wow. Emily, that's a long one. So I'm going to hand it to you while I catch my breath. Yeah, you go for it. So I think the biggest thing they're trying to decide, it sounds like understanding the longer term plan, right? So the house they're building is more of their forever home, which they're in the, currently in the process of, um, but it would rent for 580 a week. So a bit um, mortgage being only 500. So they're probably going to have a little bit of surplus there, which is not a bad thing. Um, and, but it also sounds like there's surplus in the other one. So, I mean, if it were me, 
personally, I'd be looking at where do I want to live? If I'm not going to be drastically compromised over one property or the other, where do I really want to live and where am I going to be most comfortable without having a drastic compromise on my cash flow? The only real difference between those two is one is a higher cash flow, really, but that's a property yeah. that's going to be their long-term home. So, Yeah, so $70 a week versus $80 is really what we're talking. So yeah. not much at all. Like the, the dollars and cents on the surface probably don't change too much, do they? Yeah. Um, you, you're right. Like where do I want to live? And it's clear that they would like to live in that new home that they've just built. Uh, however, it hasn't got the amenities yet. Mm. Right? That, that will come. Also consider here, it's a brand new home and if they were to live in it, no depreciation benefits. If they weren't going to live into it, in it, it, there would be some depreciation benefits because it's brand new. So as we know, the building goes down in value every year. It's um, it, it exists and the maximum time for depreciation is when it's obviously brand new. So it might be worthwhile getting a depreciation schedule when it's complete and, and then actually talk to your accountant about what that means, dollars and cents for your for your tax and the cash flow of it there, right? So other than just the whole mortgage repayments, you've got to factor in the running costs as well if you're flexible to live in either of those two. And the good thing is, given this is, sounds like their second property at least, there's no uh, need for them to live in that new build straight away because they're not going to be privy to any first-home buyer incentives for construction or anything like that. So maybe they could, if it made sense, rent the new one out for a, a year or two or more, get the benefit of the depreciation, as you're alluding to, and then move into it maybe when the amenities do arrive. The only thing I would say yeah, is, does the, does the amenity or lack thereof amenity uh, impact the rental return or is what the, he's put forward, you know, based on the fact there is no amenity? That's probably my only thing I'd want to know at in more detail. Yeah, we're, we're taking these numbers as fact. So if it is indeed what you're getting, uh, yeah, oh, it, would, it makes sense. Uh, once the amenities are there, that, that rent would potentially uh, increase, wouldn't it? Because yeah. you've now got access to things close by. But uh, yeah, it's a really good problem to have, I suppose, two houses and you can choose which one you, you want to live in. Um, at the end of the day, you've got to do what makes you happy. Uh, if you're grumpy and miserable in the new house because it hasn't got anything around you, then it's not worth it even if the dollars do make sense. Agreed. But um, also well done on on being in the position where you do have two properties. I think that in itself is a massive achievement. So well done to you, Michael, and thanks for posting in the group. Uh, hopefully that answers your question. Now, I've scrolled too far, to be honest. I've lost the question, but I know what it was. So we're just going to go with a group member <laughs> uh, spoke about the idea of placing an offer prior to auction on a property. Now, I get this question all the time. Should I? Shouldn't I? How do I even do it? Should I let it play out? And I must say, I've come up against this more times in the last two to three months than probably the last 18 months. And that is the signal of a changing market. So yes. for context, when the market in auction-heavy cities, so a bit of Brisbane, definitely Sydney and Melbourne, when the market was flying and there were multiple bidders on every property, 
there was no way you're going to stop that auction unless you were paying a ridiculous figure for the property. Yeah. They would always yeah. run it through. Everything was going 10, 20, even 30% over quote range, which is crazy. Now, the market's changed its tune a little bit and vendors are getting nervous and I'm constantly hearing agents saying, well, you know, if we got a good solid offer prior to auction and of course they want it unconditional because auctions are unconditional, uh, then yeah, we would we would definitely present it to the vendor. Now, I have not heard that in a long time. I don't know about you, John, but I feel like there's a lot more wriggle room now on the properties that are going to auction. Yeah, obviously you deal a lot more with with auctions than I do. We, mm. we as investors, we try to avoid them a little bit. Yes. Um, but I think in areas that aren't as common to run auctions with, uh, there's definitely a lot better chance to run um, get a, a before auction deal over the line because they just like neither here nor there whether it's going to go to auction or not. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think that the key there is understanding what something's worth, and your offer before auction needs to be in line with that. So mm-hmm. y- you're right; it's under auction conditions, regardless of whether you buy at auction or not. So that contract is is unconditional once it's um, once you've agreed on that. So just know that. Obviously, if um, you've got your building and pest sorted, if you're going to do that and you've done all your due diligence and you've you've got your valuation ideally as well or at least a desktop, to understand then that, right, if we think it's worth 600 and not a dollar over, that if we're paying 620 just to secure it uh, without going to auction, we're, we're paying overs. So it's really a research thing, isn't it, to understand what we think it's actually worth. It's also a bit of a risk thing in that some campaigns, it's actually better to let them run to auction and flop and pass in and negotiate the week after because then everyone starts going, well, what's wrong with it? And the vendor gets really nervous and they become more lenient on what price they will take. There's some properties we've acted on that we have let run through to auction and we have let them pass into us we haven't come to an agreement on price uh, because the vendor is just way too unrealistic and then we've actually reverted back on the Monday or the Tuesday and secured it mm-hmm. at a reasonable figure. But yeah. that is risky business, I must say. I feel like that's definitely a bit of an unknown. <laughs> wouldn't yeah. necessarily advise doing that um, all the time. But on ones that you have a confident relationship with the agent and you kind of get a bit of intel, then that is a possibility to navigate a pass in and then a negotiation post the auction date. Yeah, but but as you said, the market conditions are changing to what they were 12 months ago. So I I'd be hesitant to buy before auction and mm. unless I was I knew I was getting a real discount from that and there was a bit of a uh, a nervous vendor out there. So yeah, play it out, see what happens on auction day and and if it's in a market where that person urgently needs to sell and you can arrange some a short settlement time frame that that appeases the vendor and you can get yourself a discount before auction then knock yourself out. Yeah, definitely. Now, the final question for today was around inspection. So building and pest inspections, but also independent building inspections when it comes to a new build being completed. So like that defects inspection where you go through and put the blue tape or red tape, whatever tape on all the things that are wrong. And I don't know if you remember this, John, because it was a while ago, but someone jogged my memory the other day about it. We did an episode with a representative from Handover's who yes. do yeah? Who do the new build defects report? I've actually used it for mm. a few of my clients, and they've been awesome. So yep. 
uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to that particular episode around what the inspectors look for in a new build final inspection where you get the opportunity to report all the defects. But handovers are Australia-wide, I believe, with their... They are indeed, yes, yep. And uh, I think when we actually recorded with um, with the guy, he was located in Victoria. Yes. Um, and and I think we're, we're talking from memory the number of defects and what we should be looking That's out right. for and how many how many stickers. And I, I had an example with a client where uh, there was like eight or nine stickers, not defects, which is outstanding from the builder's point of view. Like that's that's extremely low in the building game to have um, under 10. Um, it's very common for, for builders to have 20, 30, 40 defects. Um, only small things, but nevertheless, it's, it's, it, it shows the workmanship, doesn't it, to know that if you've got eight or nine, you've, you've had a, a solid result. Indeed. And so the question was also around the cost of those inspections and also for building and pests, what to expect. And there are varying uh, costs. Even I've encountered any Think from like $400 up to $1,000 on different yep. variations. But one thing I would say more generally, and I also put conveyances in the same box, is the third-party services that help you to secure the home are not where you want to save the money. That's not where the discounts that you sort of niggling down on, on the dollars associated with those services comes into play. Where you want to save the money is on the actual purchase price itself. That's where the negotiation comes in. Yeah, Great, great point. Like you, you're hundred percent correct there. And I, and I think, like when you build new and you go and get someone like handovers to do the report, you pay. I think from memory, like five fifty for a visit, first visit, and then seven hundred total for two visits, right? Because they're really just coming back and checking that the builders fixed those things that were defects in the first place. Like that seven hundred is a no brainer, right? The the fact, or it might even be. 200 extra for that second visit. But I, I think, yeah, you're right. You don't want to skimp on the fact that, um, oh, I can do my own handover or I can I can issue that um, check on my behalf, on, on my own behalf because I'm a builder, right? Just just outsource it, get it done and uh, claim it in the cost base of your, your purchase and uh, and all is all is sweet. Indeed. And it also keeps you a little bit removed from the builder as well. Like it puts the onus on somebody else, I think, to yeah. follow them yeah. up. So yeah, definitely encourage that. Mm. Now, I think this episode would be live potentially on the week that you and I are in Melbourne, John, yeah. which wow is exciting. So yes. if you are listening and you're coming to the Melbourne show, make yourselves known to John and I, because we love hearing from the My Millennial Property listeners, as well as My Millennial Money or any of the shows that are under the umbrella of My Millennial. But we yep. definitely would love to hear from you, particularly if you have a story around your property journey and maybe we could even get you on the podcast to chat through it um, and share some inspiration to our fellow listeners and the community. But uh, totally. I'm really excited to be in the flesh because I think it's been a very long time since you and I have oh. personally been in the same room. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, we, we're going to smash out a good three or four uh, while I'm there next yep. week. So looking forward to that. Indeed. Well, mm. thank you for today. I uh, think it's been a good episode, a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to Q&A as always. We get a bit of variation of different things, but some key takeaways for those in both the investment and home owning game. So, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And and thanks for allowing us into your life for a short period of time as well. No matter where you are in Australia or abroad, whether you're driving a tractor or, or driving a car on the freeway or in your office, uh, listening to us instead of working, we thank you. Indeed we do. So until next week, we will speak to you soon. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 